we're on track for tripling where we were year over year from when we started. At Founder, we're on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education and on our way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're doing things a little differently. We're working with our own students in our community who are deep within the process of building our own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow, who've stood where you are and are on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of our stories are about to share in this show. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. And with that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Hey guys, Molly here. I'm the community manager for Founder Magazine and welcome back to the series From Zero to Founder. Today I'm sitting down with one of our Instagram domination students, Laura McCann, who is the CEO of Adora Therapy, a essential oil infused perfume line. And it's a really interesting story, which I think you'll love. She's managed to go from zero to over 11K in just a short amount of time. So let's welcome Laura to the podcast. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and speak to me. I'm very excited to hear more about your business as well as Instagram. So let's begin. Why not start off by introducing yourself and a little bit about your business? Hi, it's so great to talk to you tonight. So I'm in North Carolina in a city called Asheville in the mountains, and my business is called Adora Therapy, and we manufacture essential oil perfumes that are breathable and lovely, and we say they're mood boosting. And so we've been doing this for about five years and we sell online and have a retail store. And today I'm speaking to you from our store. And this is the table where we make everything because we're also a manufacturer. Amazing. I love that you also manufacture your own perfumes as well. And is essential oils always been something that's been a part of your routine before it was made into a perfume? No. So I came to the business because somebody introduced me to essential oils and I was like your typical beauty consumer you know, I didn't shop for these kinds of products and I had health problems and things. And I thought, you know, wouldn't this be great if I could use this kind of natural perfume? But frankly, I was intimidated. I really didn't understand it. And so that's where the light bulb went off as an entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur. My background was in the fashion industry for over 25 years and then in fashion technology. And I said, huh, if I have this problem, I'm sure other people have this problem. And as I researched, you know, since we're all entrepreneurs here, I researched my market and did my competitive research. What I found is that there was no real aromatherapy leader. Um, It's really an interesting category where it's either gigantic multi-level marketing firms or very hippy-dippy made at home sort of DIY tabletop businesses that sell at little shows. And I said, huh, this sounds like a little white space. There isn't much white space in the beauty industry. So perhaps I can be the person that can innovate and introduce the category to more people. Sounds brilliant. I know I've started to see more and more essential oil perfumes or rollers pop up more and more over the past years. When did you first have this idea? What year was it? 2015. So, you know, it's always like this, I I guess, because I came out of the fashion industry. And when you're in fashion, you're always looking at trends and you always have to be a year ahead. So that can be an advantage, but when you're in certain kinds of consumer products, especially the beauty industry, which was not the industry I came from, a lot of the same principles, but a very different way that you think of products and how fast they turn and how many you have. 
um, what I found is, is that it was um, a, a very slow business and they hadn't quite gotten to this point. So the good news is when I started and I said, we do aromatherapy, I basically had to explain what that was. Then I had to explain that everything we did was functional fragrance. And then of course, CBD became huge and everybody knows what that's like, a functional ingredient. And then all of a sudden the beauty industry introduced the concept of clean beauty. And it was like, okay, we can fit into that category. And of course, because I still am a little bit ahead of people, what we call ourselves now is a conscious beauty brand, because we're really talking about not just the beauty part, but the mind, body, spirit part. And so our brand is all about reminding people to use the essential oils as a ritual and so that starts with the breath and taking the breath. This is like vitamin water for your breath. If you spray or roll on a product, you will breathe deeper and breathe more often because it smells so good. And then we give you a beautiful affirmation. And then our message is really all about this, adoring yourself. So this is really my mission as a woman entrepreneur is in the past, in all of the businesses that I've had, they haven't really been uh, so soul aligned. And I was looking for a business that was good for the planet, good for me. And I really wanted to do something where I could use a lot of the skills that I had to learn to be a super businesswoman and survive doing that because, frankly, it's not easy. And so one of the things that I learned is that if I can adore myself, then my life will be better. And for me, adoring yourself is the whole point anyway, but it's very hard to do. So I try to teach that. I say I'm a life coach in a bottle. I absolutely adore that. No pun intended. But I think you mentioned a few things just there, and I would love to hear more about how you had to educate yourself in the world of clean beauty. As you mentioned, it's become a more popularized thing right now. However, back when you were probably starting this in 2015, aromatherapy or using essential oils in perfume, as you mentioned, wasn't as common, if you say. So how did you go about educating yourself to know that your products that you wanted to make were going to be um, a standout in the market. Yeah. So the, the person that I partnered with early on in the business is an aromatherapist and she's a renowned aromatherapist, Adora Winquist. She's a beautiful formulator and she's also an intuitive healer. So she had developed a lot of the formulations and they were lovely. The challenge was what kind of packaging could you put them in so that you could move from, let's say a whole foods or the supermarket to an Ulta or Sephora. So that was the challenge, right? And then how do you communicate the value proposition? So a lot of that was introducing, you know, a whole language, obviously photography, and then uh, packaging, which is really something that because I was in the fashion industry, you know, we really innovated with packaging. And instead of doing sort of the hippie version of aromatherapy, we really tried to do something beautiful. So, you know, we have a lovely ribbon, we have rigid packaging, you know, our packaging always gets awards and people always say it's quite beautiful for the price point. And so this is really the whole conversation, right? It's the price, the packaging, the story, the founder story, and then the challenge is how do you communicate that uh, visually and digitally? And that was really quite the journey. And when I figured out um, after taking the Instagram domination class how to tell my story on Instagram and on social media, that really was a game changer for me in terms of getting behind the brand and figuring out what the stories were and how to tell them. And so, you know, for a lot of people, they think of social media as a complete drag, and a lot of CEO founders delegate it. 
I do all of our social media. I create all the content still, and I'm not ready to give it up because for me, it's my coaching, right? It's my opportunity to share the stories. And I find it to be a big part of my creative process. And it's the most fun part for me other than designing products. I mean, I, I can do finance and sales and operations and supply chain, but honestly, I love doing the social media. So I'm happy to share anything that I learned today with you and your audience. Honestly, I cannot wait to delve more into your Instagram because as you mentioned, you did take our Instagram domination course and you reached massive goals with that as well. But before that, you mentioned something how obviously you've got your beautiful packaging that was a standout alone and you wanted to make it, I guess, something that was a bit different to what was already on the market. Did you find that you maybe have maybe had to compete in any way with any existing perfume brands at all? Was that ever a challenge to you as well? You know, it's interesting. Somebody is helping me with some marketing projects and they said, I went to look for competitors and I looked at these different brands and, but I don't think they're exactly like you. And I said, well, that's absolutely right. So if you're looking at what most people think of when they think of essential oils, they think of single note essential oils is what they call them, pure essential oils. And this is what you might put in a diffuser. We don't, that's not what we do. We have them, but that's not what we do. If you look at perfume, clean perfume, it's still alcohol-based perfume, and we don't do that. We want to create a product that's breathable and functional. So if we have a spray, it's water-based. If we have a rollerball, it's with a jojoba oil. And we are completely transparent about every ingredient. If you look at most perfume companies, it says fragrance, and you don't know what the fragrance is. And it's because they don't want you to know because probably it's not real essential oils. They're expensive. They're hard to formulate with. And it's a very different scent experience. So the truth is, is I don't think there's anybody exactly like us, although there are companies that make multi-note blends, which is what I call them. But we are, again, in the mind, body, spirit realm. So our collections include room boosts, we call them feng shui for your mood and the mood of your environment and their ritual sprays. We make a collection called mood boosts, which are a water-based aroma perfume. I don't think anybody uses the word aroma perfume. That's something that I've coined. And then we have a collection that's right behind me that is really popular. It's called chakra boosts. So I don't know if you do yoga or any meditation, but if you know what your chakras are, they're all these parts of your body. They go up and down your spine kind of like that. And the chakras are energy centers. And so we make products that with your breath and your intention and Reiki on your body, you can actually heal and balance yourself. So these are functional fragrance. I say they're also perfume with purpose. And then I also say, these are on my hashtags, right? Scent with intent. So I learned that on the course, like come up with a few hashtags that you can own. So adore yourself, scent with intent, perfume with purpose, uh, aroma perfume. These are adora therapy buzzwords that we use and that have been really great for helping us grow. Wow. That sounds incredible. And like you just said, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone kind of focusing on the mind, the body, everything that encompasses it based off an essential oil, which I find really, really interesting. Have you also had any feedback in terms of people that might not be able to wear traditional perfumes because of their sensitivity to the fragrances, as you mentioned? Is that another point that your brand helps? Absolutely. A lot of times people still, you know, you, and this might be you, right? You eat really healthy and you try to get rid of the things you don't want. You recycle, you, you know, think about sustainability. 
Um, you want vegan or cruelty-free beauty products. And maybe you also want organic ingredients. And then you'll wear perfume. And you will not yet think that that's an issue. But some perfume, most perfume, I mean, even when you're buying the couple hundred dollar ones that, you know, are really lovely and they're amazing and they're such a treat, they have um, pheromones, they have phthalates, they have parabens, they're made with alcohol. I think this year with COVID, you know, one of the things that we really realized is that alcohol is used in hand sanitizer and it's a disinfectant. And the people who made perfume actually were making, you know, the PPE stuff and they were making hand sanitizer because you could use the alcohol to make hand sanitizer and then you realize they're telling you to spray that and it smells great and you're supposed to wear it on your body and the truth is you're putting alcohol and chemicals and a lot of them are petroleum-based chemicals so the last frontier for a mother a new mother somebody's health problems somebody maybe with migraines somebody with allergies or just somebody who's really trying to have um, integrity around everything that they choose, then this is a solution and an alternative that they might not have thought about. Incredible. I definitely agree with you there because it's definitely making me think twice about my expensive perfume that I have on right now that I wear religiously every day because it's something that probably doesn't come front of mind. Like you mentioned, if you are you know, environmentally friendly and thinking about all that, it might be. But for me personally, I've never really thought that I'm spraying alcohol on myself. So that's a really like amazing point that you just proved that I'm sure a lot of people listening might not even know. But jumping back to where you mentioned about Instagram domination, what was the real driving force towards you signing up to this course in the first place? So, you know, I was getting the emails and on Facebook and seeing a lot of the different courses and there were different courses that interest me. But when I saw the Instagram domination one, I said, I absolutely have to do this because I'm on Instagram and I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't really know if I'm doing it right. So I was looking and reading and doing, you know, all the things that I could do. But I thought if I was watching how you were growing, right? I think at the time you were a million and I don't know how many you are now. I said, if they can do it and they can teach me, then I think this is probably a good, you know, good way to learn. Um, and I really wanted to learn from a company that was digitally native and that was also you know, and I love that you now have these classes on the hustle, right? It's sort of like the whole internet economy is a whole other hustle than some of these other traditional courses. And I was like, I want to learn from somebody who knows how to do the hustle. And so I signed up and, uh, and I didn't regret it because I think, you know, my stats, but when I started, we were, we had 400 followers and we're almost at 12,000. So it didn't happen super fast. You know, I'm not at a million, but our growth was very organic and it's healthy and our engagement is good. And, you know, I think we'll get to 30 or 40,000 if that's the goal, but the goal was never the number. The goal was to just gradually grow and also to really know the people who were following us. And I'm proud to say that I have so many amazing relationships now with a lot of influencers, a lot of the people that we sponsor, we do a lot of yoga challenge sponsoring. So we found our audience to help us grow. And then we have gently applied all the tactics that we learned to see if we can have a growth that was real and not just um, showing off or trying to look like we're bigger than we are. Amazing. I love that you mentioned how you were scared too, because a lot of people listening to this might feel like they're alone being a bit daunted by social media because it still is a relatively new thing. And 
having that presence. And you mentioned earlier you really wanted to get your voice across and have your story be shared with those who are going to purchase your products. Were you able to do that after doing the Instagram domination course? Oh, yeah. So, you know, the first thing that I learned was, you know, be consistent and do it at least every day. But then, so I was doing that. And, you know, I was worried, do I have the right hashtags? Am I doing that right? I was putting certain images up and I was like, should I put that or not put that? Like, is that what I should do? It's like, what do I do if an influencer reaches out? Like, what do I, what do I do that's going to get me kicked off if I'm going to get in trouble? You know, like, so I had a million questions, all the basics and fundamentals, but I kept posting one a day. One of the things that I learned from you is post more than once a day. And so we've consistently been posting three times a day. And I attribute our growth to that. But it's also amazing because once we've created this content, we've been able to push it to other platforms as well, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Pinterest. And so a lot of people who know me are like, you're everywhere. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just doing what I was taught to do. And they're like, yeah, but we see you everywhere. And I'm like, I guess it's working if you hear that because everybody thinks I'm doing a great job at it. And I know that it's still like, a consistent, constant effort, but it's definitely driving traffic to my store, driving traffic to my physical store, and it's getting me opportunities like this. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's very few things that you can do that you can still do yourself and don't cost a fortune. And so this is one of those things that I think is massive value for a small brand, a growing brand. And I think for a business owner, if you can't afford somebody else doing it, the way it worked for me that really, really made it important for my business is I treated it like my journal. So I realized that everything I read, I could share. Everything I learned, I could share. Every picture I took that I thought was good or cool enough, I could share. That if I saw a quote, that might be important and I could use that. And so I was, I'm like a little uh, content hoarder. Before I knew it, I had content everywhere. And then the hardest part was really figuring out a tool to organize the content. That was really, I guess, the big um, shift for me is when I found a good tool. Um, I'm happy to share it or you know, I could just say I have a tool where I can organize my grid, put all my copy, put all my hashtags, play around with it, schedule things, store things until I'm ready to deal with them. That was the life changer because I was doing so much content and doing it real time is definitely more challenging than if you could kind of plan it ahead. Hey there, Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. If you're enjoying From Zero to Founder and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep and we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. Were you ever worried with the content to begin with, thinking, what am I going to post? What's going to work best with the people that are viewing my my profile? Yeah, you know... I was worried that I didn't have enough original content. And so, you know, I started to take photos with my phone and the photos are pretty good. I mean, I I did a photography class in college. So, okay, I don't have to develop the film. I just have to figure out how to 
do a little bit of stuff. And the cameras are so great these days. Um, I can write, you know, I had to learn kind of how to write that kind of copy. I think the thing that was the most terrible at that time is if you wanted to make a paragraph, you had to do all those little dots. I had no idea why, what, but I could see that like if it wouldn't wrap right or so like the dots were very intimidating. Now all of that's gone away. You have fonts and bullets and icons, but you know, even a year or two ago when I started, none of that was there. So it's pretty straightforward now. Um, and you know, I'm really exploring different ways of playing with content now. I've gotten better at creating more graphics and memes and using tools like Canva to do design. So I'm really like a, a big content factory and I spend as much time as I can on honing and tweaking all the stories that I want to share. Stories, that was another one. Like at first it was like, oh no, I'm not able to do stories. I'm going to, you know, how like if your, your dog is bad, they won't look you in the eye. I was like, don't talk to me about stories. But now I do stories. Um, I do some Instagram live, probably not enough yet. I should, I can't do reels as a brand. We don't have reels. So I haven't been able to play with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just endless and there, you can spend a lot of time on it, which is why I think a lot of people want to delegate it to an intern or someone else. But um, my experience is there would be no way anybody could create as much content as me that is on brand, telling the stories because they really have to crawl into my brain. And then the cost of that would be way more than I could ever afford for this specific part of the business. And so this is my therapy, my content therapy, <laughs> Adora therapy, content therapy. Um, that I get to do. So I actually have found a place where I can share things. And that's how I think of it. Isn't it crazy how much Instagram itself has changed since probably you first joined when, you know, you were starting your brand. Like you mentioned, there's stories, there's reels, there's guides now. What have you found to be the most effective form of engagement for your brand? Is it stories now or is it just a plain feed post? You know, I have a, a daughter who's in her I won't say, but she's, she's not a kid and she's grown up and she's, you know, a creative director and she hates social media. You know, she's that generation. And I said, you know, when you go on Instagram, you know, what do you follow? And she goes, Oh, I like the stories. And I was like, really? I hate the stories. And she goes, Oh no, everybody looks at the stories. And I was like, I don't like them. I like looking at the grid. It's pretty. I can, it's like Pinterest. And she's like, yeah, but you're missing the point. The the stories are great. You just kind of watch them. And I thought, oh, see, it's a, a age thing. Like for me, all the, the graphics they put on them and how they, and so it was like, let me look into this. And then I started doing them and I did see that the stories were driving other traffic. The big thing, less you guys, is when I got to 10,000 users, I was able to add URLs and links to my posts. And that's just been mwah, amazing because now I can share a lot of other things like blog links, website links, and things that are really going to make a difference, which is, you know, why I worked so hard was like get to that 10,000. <laughs> the 10,000 swipe up definitely is a massive unlock if you do have that, because as you mentioned, swipe ups from stories, if you are utilizing them correctly, can be a game changer. Have you found yeah. that the, the ideas to create stories just comes easily to you now because it is something that you focus on? I try to every day or two post stories um, and I used to create the stories and upload them and then put the hashtags. Now I pretty much use videos and photos right from my camera. 
But I do um, something that I think is interesting. I have not seen anybody else do it when I create my emails. Um, I basically create uh, the blocks and then I use those blocks because they fit into my stories as a story. So if we send out like an email to somebody on our list, I take the same three or four blocks and I make a story out of it. And then I use the same URLs that I'm linking to in the email on my stories. So that way, anybody who follows me only on stories or on social media if they're not getting my emails, can see the same content that I think is information or sales or whatever we're doing that we're talking about. And I like that a lot. I think that it really looks very branded. And so, you know, we do a couple emails a week and we try to put those in the stories. And then we have a store. So in the store, we do something really cool. We do aura photography. We have an aura photography studio so oftentimes we get um, people who have their aura photos, we do pet auras, and there we take a lot of videos and we like to share on our stories things that are happening real time at the store. And we tag our store location, which is in a really beautiful um, arcade that's this historic building and a lot of people come here to go to that arcade. So we found a really great way to really leverage stories in a more organic way and it doesn't take the same thoughtfulness and prep as the grid, you know, trying to make that pretty grid that just keeps going. <laughs> I agree. I think that's great that you've kind of thought about unique and original ways to to boost those stories and make it stand out to other other brands on there. You mentioned your traffic from Instagram to your online store. How has that grown uh, since doing the course and what was it like before? So, our, we don't get massive traffic. I think we're getting maybe 3,000 plus visitors. Um, probably 20% of them are returning and 80% of them are new. And I would say that probably 30 or 40% of our traffic's coming from Instagram, if not more. I feel like that's still a lot to come from something that's free technically. Yeah, you pour a lot of time and energy yes. into it, but if you're getting that sort of return... And I'd love to also know, when you first started Adora Therapy, what was it like in the early days? Were you making X amount of sales per day? And where are you at now? So the business has completely changed. And of course, we're talking at the end of COVID. So our, when we started our journey and I joined the company, um, it was a kitchen table business, right? With maybe four or five accounts. And in the first uh, 24 months of the business, because of my kind of background growing businesses, and I put capital into it myself, so I'm sort of a self-funded founder, uh, we were able to grow to over 500 retail doors. But because we were selling scent and because people didn't really understand the category, it was very, very hard to have an online business because people would say, we don't know your brand and we don't know what it smells like. So the strategy was wholesale, wholesale. And then as we grew and we did more wholesale, we ended up doing business with distributors. So I, I told you I was a manufacturer, so we were able to do that because we had good gross margins. But I kept looking at the gross margins if we sold online or if we sold in our own store, and they were the kind you want, the really good gross margins, you know, 85, 90%. So all the costs that you sunk into marketing, you could really pay for marketing if you could go direct to consumers. So for a very long time, I looked for the opportunity to do that. And I had to slowly sort of divest myself from the other channel because, frankly, when you're not venture-backed, to do both channels is very hard. Um, I did see that in the, um, 
wholesale business, their recurring revenue wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I knew that that was a problem. And I understood that the people who were buying our product and selling it didn't really understand how to sell it. And so it became very clear that I had to take all that back in-house. And if I could pivot to direct-to-consumer, that was the idea. So I was in the process of doing that when COVID hit. And so in a way, I was able to sort of turn everything off very quickly and reboot the business. And then last November, we opened up the store. And the store has become the number one channel. And we're still honing in on how to do the direct-to-consumer online with the scent. And, you know, we're... We're going to go as fast as we can, but it's very organic. And, you know, we realize we're a very niche business. We're doing this kind of soulful, mindful business. And um, but we're learning so much about the customer journey from being in the store that we're trying to replicate that now online. And I think we've really honed in on who we are and what we want to be. And then we'll, we'll scale from there. I think the journey you've had from discovering what's working best for you and your your brand is really quite interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people listening might also kind of relate to that where they might be struggling in one sector and they want to move to retail or vice versa. And I think that's really, really important, as you mentioned, how it, it will be something that you'll have to reassess and it will never be what you want to begin with. But then tweaking, you can get there, especially with COVID. That was I'm sure a shock to everyone. How did that yeah. go in terms of sales for you? Were you affected at all? Or did having that online presence help oh, at the time? Yeah. So, you know, in, we're in the US and basically in March, everything shut down, everything. So we went home and we didn't go anywhere. And it took about three or four months, I think until the summer, people then kind of knew how to deal with it and started wearing masks. But then as you know, we won't get into it, you know, the the whole story here was either you're into the mass or not into the mass. So I think the country didn't really, we had a lot of confusion. So if you're in a retail store and you're telling people to smell something and they're wearing a mask and you're like, you're not supposed to take your mask off, that really wasn't going to work. So we used that time to really hone in on the website, the direct-to-consumer and a lot of social media. As a matter of fact, during COVID, one of the things that I did is my friends who are other business owners said, Laura, you're doing so amazing on Instagram. Will you please teach us? And so I actually taught the Instagram domination class to my friends. And every week we would get online and do a Zoom and have a you know glass of wine or beer. And we would go through and kind of teach them the lessons that I had learned. And we did it for probably three months and everybody loved it. And they're so grateful and it kept us all sane. Then in, uh, I think, probably October, November, around Christmas, things started to feel like you could go back into business. And we took advantage of the fact that a lot of people had to leave really great spaces. And we found this great store in a very Tony location. And we were able to get a lease, which wouldn't have happened without COVID. So there was a journey, right? You make a lemonade out of lemons and um, a little bit of the funding from the government helped with some things. But I'd say that it's very much like a reinvention. Um, The biggest lesson that I learned from now being a retailer is after being assaulted all the time in the media by the idea of grow, 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 raise money, raise money, big, 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 which I totally understand. Um, But not every business is going to be able to raise money and not every business is going to be able to scale. And the lifestyle of that is very challenging and it's not for everyone. 
And now I'm surrounded by merchants. They're like your grandparents were, they were immigrants and they opened up a store, right? And their, their whole version of the business model is profitability first. You can't keep a store open if you can't pay the people and if you can't buy inventory. So I'm, I'm now kind of um, a, convert, a convert and I really am loving the idea of Main Street business values. And I think that there needs to be a little bit more um, kind of pushing, t- taking the foot off the pedal of pushing people to think that if they're not growing fast and if they're not hitting these big numbers like some of these unicorn companies or venture back companies, they're not successful. I would say that's a myth and start all over and just figure out how to be small and profitable. And that's a much healthier, more sane journey. And then once you do that, everybody will want to be helping you become more successful. But the idea that people will throw money at you when you haven't even done anything, that's for the very few and far between. And it may not be everybody's dream. You've definitely given some great advice there, and I, I've learned a lot too just by speaking with you. But you did touch upon the whole you taught your friends. I did hear, correct me if I'm wrong, that from the success that you had through your Instagram and doing the course, you actually were able to lead a sold-out Instagram growth course. Is that correct? Yeah, so I, uh, there's a woman's um, co- a company here that helps and supports women business owners, you know, so they're like a nonprofit. And again, everybody saw my Instagram and thought it was like beyond anything anybody that they knew was doing. So they asked me if I would volunteer to teach a class. And so I taught a class and they had like 60 people show up at this class. And I basically explained how I did it and what worked for me. And that's where I met a few of these people who literally became my friends because they were like, okay, I want, I want to, I want to know her and I want her to always be here to ask advice. And so some of these people have been um, really great and we, you know, we can have conversations about social media without like everybody else is like, I'm not interested. (laughs) These people, we can get together and we can talk about that and we, we can have a lot of fun. I think that's incredible that you've found a community within a community outside of social media in particular, because I think that's just great. What were some of the key strategies you learned that you're still implementing and teaching others that you may have learned from the course? So one of the things that I really love is um, a new class because what I'm learning is that making content just for Instagram isn't enough. Um, all the work that goes into generating the copy, the hashtags, the videos, the photography, the posts, the stories, it's obviously repurposable, right? And so as we're getting better at deploying all that content across all these other platforms, we're really seeing that that's the next strategy. So I'd love um, more info on that. And uh, one of the strategies that's working great for me is I partnered with a company that's called Creative Content Collective, and um, they're really amazing. They um, are helping us distribute this content everywhere on all the platforms. And so I can then focus on doing all the creative and they can focus on the distribution piece. So I really see those two things as completely different. So the Content Collective Studio um, uses a strategy around telling your brand story, but it's also taking that information that you created, that content, and then serving it up on all the platforms. And they use a really cool tool called Content Studio to do that, which is a little bit more of a powerhouse tool than some of the other ones out there that maybe only do Pinterest or only do you know, uh, Instagram or Facebook. This one does everything. 
And uh, like my friend Will, who is running that company, he gave me this great quote. I love it. It's a quote from Jeff Bezos that says, um, your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. So as I mentioned before, a lot of people say, I see you everywhere, but I also get, you know, your page is really beautiful and, you know, your packaging is really beautiful. And so getting to hear back that and having the influencers share that in stories and reposts with content they've created with the products that we send them has been really, really amazing. Those reviews have really um, given us uh, like validation and that's really important when people buy online. That's really, really interesting. I would love to hear more about how influencers have impacted your brand as well as your business. Has it helped with revenue or anything in particular? So influencer marketing has really helped our business and um, our revenue. Prior to doing the Instagram, um, our revenue online came from past customers who bought us at wholesale, who found us again and repurchased. And we did get some traffic from social media, but you know, until we grew to over 10,000 followers on Instagram, it really wasn't significant enough. And um, as a small brand, we really did not invest in um, online paid media um, and felt that uh, that was just something that was outside our reach. And so it was really important for us to get organic reach that converted into sales. Really, really interesting. I would love to know where you were in terms of where you started and where you are now in terms of revenue. Were you at zero to how's your business performing? Our revenue online is still not where I'd like it to be. It's not um, growing as fast as I hoped for. I think COVID had an impact on that. Um, But also because we're fragrance and people want to smell the products, uh, it really requires some innovative uh, strategies. Um, But I would say that we're on track for tripling where we were year over year from when we started. So it's been about 18 to 24 months. So that's great news. Um, I think uh, the organic strategy to really scale and to get you to a number that would be significant requires the paid or a very strong influencer strategy that's going to really move uh, the needle. And Laura, working towards wrapping up, is there any bits of advice that you would like to share to anyone that might be thinking about starting a business or maybe has a business in a niche similar to yours, such as perfume that kind of can be oversaturated? So a lot of um, times I do mentor other startup business owners and um, they come to me for not my social media marketing uh, advice, but really because I have overall business advice Um, and What I've learned, and this is really the thing that nobody wants to hear, is it's very hard to become an overnight success. The hardest thing I'd say is capital. It really requires capital, especially to do a product um, and an innovative product, a product that is not a copycat product. So I think it's really interesting. A lot of the um, drop shippers and folks who really have an e-commerce background are really, really good with the tools and the growth, and they really understand that piece of it. And they're looking for a product to partner with or find that they can grow that way and they can make bigger. And then the challenge is, of course, then they're competing against anybody else who has that product. I think the challenge for brand owners like myself is that we really understand that part of it, how to find the niche, how to do something innovative, how to be you know, behind the brand and the voice of the brand. And where we need help is how to accelerate the brand online and get that digital marketing um, know-how. So maybe there's a way to partner both sides up better 
um, so that we can all learn each other's lessons. But my advice to someone who is starting a brand and looking to find something that's quite unique is focus on uh, what it's going to look like on social media, primarily on Instagram or TikTok, um, before you even go any further. Because ultimately, it seems like even though you have a website and even though you have all those other pieces, um, your social media presence is really your business card today. And everybody will understand who you are and what you're about there first. So create your mock-up of your first 120 days online visually with the stories and then back into building the business around that instead of doing it the other way, which is build the business, the business plan, and then figure out what it all looks like. So that's my contrarian advice. Thank you again, Laura, for taking the time and sitting down and speaking to me about Adora Therapy, your business, and, and everything you've learned along the way. I'm sure a lot of people listening will definitely feel inspired. So thank you again, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Molly, it's been really great talking to you, and I really appreciate getting to tell my story to you and your audience, and I look forward to hearing from anybody who wants to reach out on our Instagram page, at Adora Therapy, or you can reach out to me, Laura McCann, on LinkedIn, or through hello at Adora Therapy on our website. Take care. Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder, and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want access to the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com slash Instagram training or follow the link in the show notes.